Hello all, welcome to the Lunar Sea Spire Cartoon Fan Podcast. This is episode 319, and today we'll be talking about Cosmic Bupkis from Summer Camp Island. I'm GC13. And I'm David. So this is a, this this was a very Summer Camp Island episode of Summer Camp Island. I thought just the way that's all, oh cool, we're going on an adventure now, seemed to be kind of the general vibe of the middle there. And the idea that yetis start doing complicated gymnastics <laughs> as as a comet closes in. That was delightfully random. And then, of course, you had Oscar making friends with the storm, uh, much more successfully than he made friends with the basketball, I might add. <laughs> or managed his relationship with the moon. Sure. Yeah. I Yeah, it, it, it was a delightful episode. And I really liked the absolute nonsense that it presented in addition to um, a pretty serious topic that it kind of just started glazing over, which is aging and that that whole story with uh, Ramona and, and Susie. I like how apparently old he thinks they're going to be when they're 61. Do, do whatever animals exist in the world of Summer Camp Island age more quickly than humans? Because humans are usually looking a lot better than they're figuring on being at 61. I mean, it's it's a pretty recent human development, though, that humans do so well at, at 61, potentially. So I'm sure their world also has the same medicine and stuff, but also they're like, what, 11 years old? I think that's a <laughs> pretty accurate representation of 11-year-olds' representations of 61-year-olds. So we're getting the true life right here. Just like that was definitely the couch that tooted. The, the, the joke that prunes equal farts? That never gets old. I think <laughs> that, uh, you know, that being the only prop that existed in Ramona's house that they interacted with was pretty, pretty hilarious. I mean, they had they had plenty of props there. They had the little lacy thing yeah, the that doily. he turned into the comic. Yeah, doily. He had the blanket that he wore over himself, the dust that he used to gray up their hair. You're right, you're right. I'm thinking very specifically of they first enter the house. Um, and they have their first little conversation, and Oscar in the scene's just sitting in front of the fireplace, and, and you see the prunes and then, like yeah, Chekhov's gun back over to Hedgehog, and just I just can only I don't look at Hedgehog's face, I just look at the jar of prunes in the background because it's so very clearly labeled prunes, and you can see the little fart bubbles on it. It's fantastic. <laughs> now, uh, what I do think is interesting is that Bupkis means zero, like literally nothing, but it's normally only spelled with one S, and the Cosmic Bupkis is spelled with two S's. So there's a message there, and I am not able to decipher it. <laughs> I just uh, thought of the, the teacher from The Incredibles. Coincidence? I think not! Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, so the cloud kind of gets bored watching the comet, which kind of frames the comet as a little bit of Bupkis. Fair enough, fair enough. Then then reminds him of being lonely, and then he gets his loneliness squashed a little bit for a short time by hanging out with Oscar and Hedgehog. For Oscar and Hedgehog, the comet is also not important by the end of the episode because they bond together in Ramona's cabin. And yeah, they get to see it, but again, I, I always just say in other cartoons, but in other cartoons, the, the the way this story was framed is that the whole conclusion should be about them finally 
seeing the comet, right? You could think yeah. of a simpler story where our protagonists are put up against the the literal elements, right? The storm, and then they, you know, either trick the storm or befriend the storm, but then it just merely concludes with witnessing the comet and isn't this great? And friendship's great. But Summer Camp Island always goes further. So it, it ends up being that the comet was merely a way to get Oscar and Hedgehog not just to bond more, but to consider that their bond will be something that lasts them their whole life and that will mature into something that is somehow continually more meaningful to them. And I think that is more obvious to Hedgehog than Oscar. (laughs) Oscar kind of lives in the moment and is just likes being goofy and throwing dust on his head and acting like an old person. But um, you can tell that Hedgehog is sort of genuinely acknowledging the reality of how good their friendship is, which uh, makes me feel a little bit more like the cloud <laughs> personally when I think about that. But, you know. Now, you you did give me an interesting idea talking about, you know, the, the loneliness of the comet and the importance of the friendship in viewing it, because as I often do, I noticed something for the first time reviewing this episode And it was when Hedgehog was talking about the cosmic bupkis and said, like, folklore believes that this heralds great societal changes, such as the, you know, crowning of a new queen. And, uh, of course, we are currently in the process of crowning a new witch in the show. So, uh, foreshadowing, perhaps, because this was Mm. the, this was the batch of 20 episodes that was building towards the 20 episodes we got most recently, where Hedgehog is even more seriously training for witchdom now. And, I mean, they are directly in a witch's house for a part yeah. of the episode. And we do have the friendship between Susie and Ramona. Again, uh, very, very much explored through several, several images. And we know that Susie is having trouble with that friendship. You know, she seems to fear losing Ramona, I said. And Susie's going to live forever. But what good is living forever if you leave your friends behind? Perhaps maybe that is the message of the cosmic bupkis. The common is meaningless without your friends. Ooh, the common is meaningless without your friends. I think that is the simplest and best to draw conclusion. Also, I am thinking about just all the lore pieces that go along with why does Susie not age, but Ramona, who is also a witch, age? Is it a choice that all witches make? How old are Betsy? And Alice, who I love because she's Alice. But my my hypothesis about Ramona is that as the witch who specializes in time, and especially in the Midnight Quittance, that's kind of the price she pays. She can't be immortal and work so closely with time. It would be kind of a mockery of time to ignore it in such a way, don't you think? Yes, but... Also, is she delaying her death now, or is she still aging when living in between, you know, the seconds of the clock? I'm assuming she is delaying her death because, you know, if, you know, they're going to be old and gray by the time they're 61, although, like you said, they might not be old and gray by 61, they are just 11, but she's doing pretty well for, like, 120 or something. Right, and I mean, in her photos, I'm going to assume that she hung out with Susie in the regular realm and not always living life in between. So, I mean, I think she's taken on this role and she's sort of frozen at an older age. 
But I don't think Susie would refuse to talk to her if she was going to live forever. So yeah, something is progressing something. I do want to say that last episode I mentioned, or the last time we talked about Summer Camp Island anyway, I can't remember if it was actually last week because time is meaningless now. I, I said that the intro to this story about uh, Ramona and Susie was a little just kind of forced thrown in there. And this episode to me, I think you could have just not mentioned the picture at all last episode, and this would have been perfectly fine. In fact, I had kind of forgotten about how this episode went, because when I watched it, I thought, oh, this is almost exactly what I described. They go into Ramona's house, and they see some photographs and just kind of react to them. And that already gives us, we didn't need a primer for that. This was already, you know, oh, and if anything, without having the primer, it actually kind of helps you go into this episode and think that the uh, story is more novel and, oh, look at the parallels between how Oscar and Hedgehog thrive in their friendship even into old age versus what we just now discovered. But I don't know, maybe they did want us to have that framing beforehand and maybe that was the intentional decision so that you'd be thinking about it the whole time. I don't know, but I just like environmental storytelling and I like when the characters discover things versus... I mean, she also did discover it, but it was irrelevant to the episode that she discovered the photograph in. Versus here, it's very thematically relevant. Oh yes, incredibly. Especially, uh, we'll learn later in the Susie Appreciation Day. But yeah, I think that the only reason, like I said last time we discussed Summer Camp Island, that that was put in there is because they knew that they were going to be off for a year. So they kind of kind of needed something to tease us with for, for that year so that we had something to chew on. And that was, that was our thing to chew on. The secret of Ramona and Susie. If every cartoon had post-credit scenes like Rick and Morty did, then maybe it would have oh, been a post-credit scene. Yeah, that would have been good. I mean, hey, they could have had a post-credit scene just for this one episode. <laughs> you know, break the mold. They don't put the credits on uh, air, though. But I guess that doesn't matter because Summer Camp Island's now an HBO Max exclusive. And I always see the credits when it ends. Yeah, now they can now they can go crazy. See, they've been freed <sighs> from the constraints of modern cable broadcasts. I think we should be rewarded with a post credit scene because I watch that little dancing banana every single time. I love the credits. Isn't he his own reward? He is, and the musical changes, which I don't remember if last episode did, but they definitely have changed the theme now to the um, mysterious witch theme versus the more jazzy laid-back theme that they play during the credits. Which, when I first saw these episodes, that got me so hyped. It's nowhere near the level of Steven Universe's end credits, but just having credits that change the theme or have completely different songs as the story progresses uh, I don't know. It just makes me, it, it elevates that mood, especially if I'm watching episodes serially, you know, next to each other. You just like, ooh, those credits transitioned you into thinking, oh, stuff's going on. So I liked that. There would have been nothing stopping them from airing the credits after Fuzzy Pink Time Babies, just like, hey, there are credits now. I mean, just, I think that would have made sure that people stuck around to watch after the credits because people would be like, wait a minute, this is, this is different. Mm-hmm. And then they would have seen the the photo of Susie and Ramona. That could have worked if they had wanted to do that. Maybe they didn't have the ability. Well, I am thinking just completely to the side now how cool that'll be for the first cartoon to take advantage of a moment like that that you could only do on streaming where, you know, I'm just thinking of, you know, even in Steven Universe or something, like there's so many different revelations in that show, but you could have had 
I don't know. This could be some fun post-credit scenes. Actually, though, I'm also thinking that Steven Universe kind of took advantage of credits, not even just in the changing songs, but there was at least one example of it foreshadowing what was coming, which is, was it political uh, message or I forgot the correct name. Political power or message received? Yeah, (laughs) between political power and message received, which I believe political power was supposed to air first or whichever episode came before message received. The end credits play a, like, static sound that is foreshadowing the, you know, message from Lapis. Ah. Only instance I can think of. I mean, there's a, there's a lot that happens in the middle that, again, is this is kind of why I say it's a very Summer Camp Island episode. You got a, you got a bit of lull so random, like the... The elf. Yeah, the <laughs> elf who wants to be told that he's pretty. But and then, then he... eats it up and then says, you know, beauty is only skin deep anyway, so... <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, packs up his bridge and takes it away. No, that was so funny. It definitely reminded me of Princess Cookie a little bit, just in the like, please <laughs> give me adoration. But in this case, it didn't matter. <laughs> like, okay, elf, whatever. I mean, I'm wondering does does that tie in to the message of the episode? Like, you know, Susie Ooh. is staying young for vain reasons, and Ramona is, you know, focused on more substantive things because, you know, she's grown up beyond being a teenager. (laughs) I don't... I think Susie can be a bad person. I don't know if she's specifically shallow about her appearance. I mean, she's a teenager. She kind of is. I mean, she's definitely shallow in, like, in how she thinks about presenting herself and how people experience how she presents herself. I don't think she has demonstrated thinking deeply about that all the time, but I don't know. She's not specifically vain about her appearance in the way that other cartoons with stereotypical teenage girls might have. I was thinking specifically with, you know, maybe maybe she doesn't want to get old because she doesn't want to look old. That was that was more what I'm thinking. I feel like I don't know. I just think it's going to go down the route of her just not wanting to die. Or, well, she the way the show will probably frame it is just her not wanting to lose Ramona, period. Mm. Yeah, of course not. Nobody nobody wants to lose the ones they love. Right. Versus versus her own life. I, I don't know how much of that will play in, but we'll see. Yeah, and then, of course, our characters just get yeeted by the Yeti, and then they go up the mountain, which we actually spend quite a bit of time just trying to climb the mountain. Oscar realizes they're not getting... That's very unusual for Oscar to be, to be the one to... Well, you did say he lives in the moment, but he opens his eyes and realizes they're literally not getting anywhere. I mean, that that's a metaphor for the rat race of adulthood, I think. <laughs> if anything. <laughs> oh, yeah. They animated that really well, too. The way that the wind sort of... They braced themselves against the wind and then kept getting thrown back and the lightning that like just struck directly in front of them and they just kept running up the hill anyway. Man, is this really a very subtle metaphor for adulthood, this whole journey? What did the Yeti's dancing represent? <laughs> People with inexplicable talent? <laughs> I'm sure we could think of something. No, no, like the, the Yetis were at that point where they were doing that very cool gymnastics and just perfectly dodging the lightning. That was... I mean, that's that's like a metaphor for Jedi. That's not a metaphor for Jedi. They literally <laughs> are Jedi at that point. <laughs> yes, every every metaphor about adulthood must include randomly references to Jedi because that is a core, core experience of adulthood. 
I mean, well, if you're an adult at this point in life, you remember the real Star Wars uh, movies. The real Star Wars movies! Yeah, 20 years from now when people are listening to this podcast, the people who are adults will not remember the real Star Wars movies anymore, but... Yes, 20 years from now where our heads are both encased in water in a museum where we repetitively talk about the Lunar Sea Spire, and of course we have millions, uh, if not billions, across the uh, galaxy, you know, discussing our work. you know. Still a small podcast on a galactic scale, but... Of course, I mean, there's trillions of humans now in 20 years because our yeah. world is definitely heading in that direction. Uh, <laughs> so this has uh, been a great start to the post-preseason finale of mid-season finale of, of, of Summer Camp Island. And uh, now we're getting into mysterious, spooky witch song time, which is what the credit suggests. And <laughs> this is definitely the point at which I was completely invested in Summer Camp Island on my initial watch. I think this is where I started binging. So buckle in, y'all. <laughs> oh, yeah. It only gets better from here. This was a, this was a season, this batch of 20 episodes. Yeah, absolutely. Not that there was anything wrong with Summer Camp Island having not uh, you know no strong narrative thread but it's fun with one and they also do really well at i mean i think of the way i like adventure time so much relating a lot to summer camp island summer camp island maintains being able to be slice of life and random and funny and having a looser narrative thread that continues to have importance but also they have these philosophical episodes mixed in that could or could not advance the plot and in this case you kind of get all three you get the the random the slice of life the friendship the mystery and the you know metaphor and philosophical contrasting of of hedgehog's approach to aging versus Susie's. so it's a lot for this episode to do it's amazing so I, I guess my final observation is, since we've, since we've gone very heavy, I, I need to go shallow at the end here. <laughs> Thanks, Susie. <laughs> yes. So, well, Susie is my girl, so I have to represent for my shallow Susie. But <laughs> I did enjoy that the monsters had a contract that, you know, Hedgehog was only allowed to use the telescope for telescoping purposes. Ha, <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes. What, uh, what does that mean? Hmm. What will they think of next? <laughs> But anyway, guys, that's been us on Cosmic Bupkis. Until next week, I'm GC13. And I'm David. Don't forget to leave us a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. Later, everybody. Our opening and closing music is by Mark Soto. For more cartoon-related content, please visit LunarCeasefire.com. 